Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Hash. If you're watching us, we are on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to us, we're on The Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Assey. On today's show, we got Will Foxley, Adam B. Levine, and Sandali Handagama. Adam, you're kicking us off with some updates from Celsius. Well, good morning, Jen. Today, we're jumping right into the deep end after crypto yield giant Celsius declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy late yesterday in the Southern District of New York. In a statement released by the company along with the news, quote, Today's filing follows the difficult but necessary decision by Celsius last month to pause withdrawals, swaps, and transfers on its platform to stabilize its business and protect its customers. Without a pause, the acceleration of withdrawals would have allowed certain customers, those who were first to act, to be paid in full while leaving others behind to wait for Celsius to harvest value from illiquid or long-term asset deployment activities before they receive a recovery, end quote. And in a statement from co-founder and CEO Alex Mashinsky, quote, This is the right decision for our community and company. I am confident that when we look back at the history of Celsius, we'll see this is a defining moment where acting with resolve and confidence serve the community and strengthen the future of the company, end quote. Now, Celsius says that they have $167 million in cash on hand and that they will continue to operate, but they won't be allowing customers to withdraw. Customer claims, they say, will be addressed through bankruptcy proceedings. So, Will, I think let's start with you today. You know, I don't think this move was unexpected, and markets didn't even really blink kind of when we saw it. So, I mean, is there any bad news left to have, or what's your read on this generally? Apparently, there is more bad news, right? Because they're saying they're operating as normal, yet they're not allowing people to withdraw funds. So, how do you square that, right? It doesn't quite make sense at all. Cheers to Mashinsky, though, for always pulling out the PR stunts, right? He can always get a nice little line in there about the community and how much they value the community. Well, if you did value the community, you probably wouldn't have been operating as a large Ponzi scheme for the last few months, maybe even years at this point. It's hard to know, right? Chapter 11 bankruptcy is nothing to wink at. We've seen a lot of different firms go through this route right now. Three Arrows Capital, of course, is probably the most important going through bankruptcy proceedings right now. 
because of how many different firms 3AC touched. It seems that Celsius was probably also involved with that, right? A lot of these firms were taking large amounts of capital from other, either customers, principal investors, or themselves, loaning it out to 3AC. 3AC was making very aggressive, super cycle long bets. Those bets didn't turn out. They got liquidated. Firms scrambled to get that capital back, the collateral, and only some firms were able to get collateral back. And the rest are now going into bankruptcy. Uh, we're going to talk about CoinFlex in a second here, which is also going through some difficult times. Seems like Celsius is probably the worst though, right? Uh, bankruptcy, Chapter 11, that's rough. And for those who have funds in Celsius, it's going to be quite a while before you get anything out of it. So look at Mt. Gox right now, right? It's been a decade almost for people to get their Bitcoin back. And a lot of times people just gave up on the whole process. They didn't even care anymore. It's like, I'd rather just move on and get on with my life. So they probably sold their receipts for those Bitcoin to hedge funds. Now we don't really know what's going to happen with that. I can see Celsius, same thing. It's going to take a very long time for anyone to get their funds back. And even if they do get funds back, it's going to be partial amounts of those funds. And if you get funds back denominated in that token they're using, it's a good chance that token's not worth anything anymore going forward. Sindali, I'll throw it up to you. Thanks. Well, that was that was a great description of everything that's going on. I just wanted to add that Celsius mining unit also filed for bankruptcy just literally months after announcing its intention to go public. It filed an S1 form for an IPO um, as early as March before everything sort of came tumbling down. I feel like there's not enough chatter about the impact of the market downturn on mining in general. There was so much money going into mining during the bull market. Celsius Mining said it invested $500 million for its Bitcoin mining operations, I think just in North America. And it was after China's mining ban, lots of mining companies were expanding into Europe and, and the Americas at you know, breakneck speeds. And in the last few months, miners have been forced to sell their mined crypto to manage operating costs. And Coindesk wrote about them maybe turning to mergers and acquisitions to survive. So this is another blow to add to what you know, Celsius investors are going through from the mining side as well. Jen, I saw your hand go up. Yeah. First, Will, I would like to apologize. I did not mean to make light of what you were saying. My audio was cutting out me. and I have a horrible <laughs> poker face. So apologies <laughs> on my end. I need to say crypto companies really need to figure out how to do crisis comms better. I went off to the Celsius website again this morning, like I did last week. I did some clicking around on their blogs and, and announcements. And this statement feels very clinical for what's happening here to, to their customers. If I was a customer, which I am not, but if I was a customer reading this, I would feel like I didn't know where to go, right? When they're explaining what chapter 11 bankruptcy means from a customer perspective, they tell you to click out and watch a video. It's a video on the YouTube channel. That's an animated explainer with stock music. I just feel like, you know, a message from the CEO just being a person would go so much further than than this explainer. And it comes back to that human element that's been that is kind of lost in crypto in the good times and the bad times. We really focus on the tech. We really focus on being very like technical and matter of fact in our language when at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. And so I hope that we can learn and in crisis communications, really level set and speak to people like they're people so that they can understand what's happening to their money at the end of the day. But Adam? I, I think the problem with your argument, Jen, is that there's no good news to talk about here, right? 
Like the reason why I read the first part of that statement where it talked about the reasons why they thought it was, you know, it was a good thing, or at least why they were portraying it, trying to portray it as a good thing that people weren't allowed to withdraw is because they don't have enough money to fulfill their commitments. So again, like this is in a very real sense, a confidence game, not like our con game, but like our confidence game in that to the extent that people think that you aren't going to be able to pay them and they can take their money out now, they're going to take their money out now. So, I mean, like it's a classic bank run type situation. And so whether you're talking about Voyager, who did exactly the same thing, uh, or you're talking about Celsius, uh, you know, you're looking at companies that have no good options on the table. And so it's not a question of how do we handle this in an ideal setting? It's a question of given that everything's on fire, what's the least worst way that we can handle this that gives us the most flexibility to try and pull some money out of this, frankly, because this is, these are you know, companies that were worth billions and billions of dollars and which are now either worth negative money uh, you know, if they kind of uh, continue along their current path, or maybe they manage to come back and become something kind of significant. And that's the hope for all these companies. That's why you've got Voyager out there saying, we're not just going to pay you back in you know, some of your crypto. We're going to give you equity in the new company. We're going to give you our token. We're going to you know, like, do anything that we can to make it so that you let us just go through this process. Because to the extent that the creditors don't, try to, don't really you know, support that process, they'll make it more difficult. And their chances of succeeding and you know, successfully navigating that without losing everything will go down significantly. That's for the company, not for the, uh, not for the, uh, like the people who have uh, funds with them. But yeah, to to uh, to Will's point, you know, like this is very very Mount Goxy. There's just not too much that the company can do. There's bad outcomes for the individuals, and to the extent that they get upset about it and focus on it, they can make it a lot more difficult for the companies. Tough times all around for sure. That's right. I'm interested to see yes. what some of the other playbooks are going forward because we, like you said, Adam, we've seen Celsius shut off returns or being able to pull out money. Voyager is similar thing. Uh, CoinFlex, we'll talk about in a second, is also doing that, but they seem to be opening up withdrawals a little bit. Uh, all these firms, like the first thing they do is turn the, the bank off, right? They shut the taps off so that they can try to get like their liquidity uh, set up correctly. And they're hoping that the market turns towards them. But so far, none of that has really worked, right? So pretty interesting. Well, I'll hand it off to Sandali for the next story on CoinFlex. Yeah, thanks, Will. And physical futures trading platform CoinFlex is now letting customers withdraw their account balances after it froze withdrawals last month. But there's a catch. Customers can only withdraw 10% of their balance and they can't withdraw any FlexUSD, which is CoinFlex's interest-earning stablecoin. The blog post that they said all this in said that locked funds will still appear in customer balances, but they will not be available for withdrawals, trades, nor be accounted as collateral on CoinFlex. The stablecoin also will not be earning any interest for the time being. So CoinFlex halted withdrawals last month, citing extreme market conditions and uncertainty around a high net worth individual who owed the exchange a lot of money. And it first launched a USD recovery token at the end of June, I think worth some $47 million to try and fix the problem. Then in July, it began arbitration to try and get back. The $84 million in debt owed by this large individual customer. That's all we know for now. We'll hear more about how the company is handling positions and trading, hopefully by July 22nd, according to the blog post. This is all interesting because Quinflex planned to restart withdrawals on June 30th, and that didn't pan out. Now it's locking up 90% of customer funds 
the stable coins are not earning interest. So it sounds like it's good news, but it's also a very temporary solution and it's not a great fix, as, as Will was saying. And, you know, a lot of it depends on this one individual investor, supposedly. You know, what Jen said earlier, I, I have to agree. I just, I, I don't know what to make of this kind of matter of fact way this news is delivered to customers by shaking up crypto companies, like saying you can't do this, 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 and that, because the money, we, your money, we blocked it up and, you know, we messed up, but we're not going to admit that it, it's starting to sound like my bank and it's kind of freaking me out. But this is what is happening. And I agree with Adam too, in that, like, how else are we supposed to give all this bad news? I think CoinFlex made a good move in saying, okay, we're going to open it up a little bit, you know, until we work something more permanent out. But I, I obviously don't know where this is all going to go. I saw Jen's hand go up, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, I, I quickly want to point to the, the way they communicated this as well. It was different than Celsius. I know the two situations are different, but that post started off by apologizing for the situation and then focusing on these headlines, how we got into the situation, what we're looking to recover, how we're going to fix the problem, where do we stand, our future plans, and what we're going to do in the meantime. While all of those statements, you know, some of them were like a little vague because I'm sure that they're, they're still figuring out what they're going to do in the meantime, that felt a little bit more sincere to me. It felt like, you know, they were acknowledging the problem, they were apologizing for it. And I know this sounds very fluffy, but I think that goes a long way with the end customer, especially when you have money locked into a platform. Like that's a very emotional situation. And to feel like you're being heard, I think goes a long way. So I think that this is a little bit better and, and still confident to the point that you brought up earlier, Adam. Oh, Will, take it away. Who wants it? Who wants it? I'll go really quick. The interesting thing to me is is our native token, right? CoinFlex or USD or FlexUSD, whatever it's called. It's like they're trying to figure out the, the conditions for this token to be able to open up for exchange again, but they don't want to do it right now because not only is everything dumping, but if the token on the platform was allowed to be traded and moved off exchange, it probably pushed down a lot of the value of that token, which is used as collateral on the exchange itself. So you get into this weird problem where the token you issued to help build your own platform could be the very unwinding of your entire project, right? So there's, there's not a good way of resolving this unless you have a large amount of confidence that that bag is not going to be dropped. The only way that bag is not going to be dropped is by refusing to move the bag, right? You have to keep the bag on the exchange itself. Now to go over to the person or entity itself that is in question, uh, who took out this large loan and is it, it has not paid it back to CoinFlex. It seems to be Roger Ver, or at least that is what people are alleging at this time. It's difficult to know, of course, who is behind these things. But there's been public tweets from both entities, both Roger Ver and CoinFlex, talking about how this loan was not paid out. So it's, it's also fascinating, just from a crypto Bitcoin perspective, to see the ghosts of Bitcoin past come into the present situation. And they're trying to... Uh, get their money's worth from this individual who has been um, definitely a figurehead for both good things and bad things over the years with Bitcoin. Adam, I'll throw it up to you. Yeah, so I'll be quick here. So uh, Roger has, uh, to my knowledge, uh, denied the allegations so far. So we'll have to wait and see kind of what happens there. There's a couple of things here that are interesting to me. One is to the extent that this problem was caused by a single large borrower, that basically means that this platform put all of its customers' funds at risk or a significant enough amount to actually have to necessitate these types of freeze activities uh, you know, for a single large investor who they hope to make money off of. So 
not a great look there, I think. The other thing that's particularly interesting to me about this situation is that they did a recovery token or a right of recovery token. And there probably isn't enough time to go all the way through this. But basically, when you have one of these illiquid situations where you have an exchange that's failed or something like that, people have funds that are trapped inside, you get this kind of this split between motivations where some people have the ability to wait for you know however much money they can get out of it. And they want to maximize for the amount of money. But other people don't have that, that advantage and they need money sooner. So a right of recovery token has been used in the past, first conceived to my understanding uh, with some work that I did back in 2013 around Mt. Gox for a recovery token that was never launched there. Uh, but basically what they do is they allow somebody who has funds trapped inside of one of these exchanges to then sell those at a discount to somebody who has a longer time horizon. And if there is a recovery, then they're effectively selling today for cash today at a discount uh, their right to participate in that recovery. This is something that I think that is actually quite a good thing uh, in most circumstances because it allows for people to make better decisions. I'm happy to see it used here. The situation is a little weird and the 10% withdrawal thing, honestly, that to me looks more like weakness than anything else that says, hey, we want to keep you happy, but we only think we can offer you 10% of the money you gave us. Otherwise, we're insolvent. So not exactly perfect messaging there, but what are you going to do? Six Web3 projects have been selected for Disney's brand new Accelerator. So the Accelerator is focusing on augmented and virtual reality in the metaverse. The program starts this week and is designed to spur growth of innovative companies. So during the program, each company is going to receive guidance from Disney's senior leadership team and get an executive mentor. I really like the way this story is positioned because I think that all of these companies are, yeah, you know, they're going to get some, uh, mentorship and they're, they're going to get some advice from Disney, but I think Disney's going to learn a lot from them as well. Adam, uh, I'm going to toss this off to you first. What do you think about Disney really, you know, it seems like trying to learn more about Web3 and, and also foster some of the building that's already been happening. Web 2 was a world that was largely defined by platforms, right? So what Disney is looking to do here is they're looking to sort of steal a march on kind of this new technology. The new technology will basically allow for, for these companies who have typically been on the content provisioning side, but not on the actual delivery or kind of end user relationship with the customer, uh, to actually have an end user relationship with the customer. And really, I think the most interesting part to me about sort of the Disneys of the world who are really big intellectual property holders and sort of this new tokenized moment that we're in is that I think a lot of this intellectual property is going to wind up being represented as tokens, which can work in various ecosystems, uh, which can then be purchased directly from Disney in something that's quite different from the way that the system works right now. So it makes a lot of sense to me for them to invest pretty heavily into making sure that they're present as these kind of innovations in these moments happen. The one name that really jumped out at me about the program was, I believe, Polygon, which is Ethereum 2.0 scaling solution sidechain type thing that's been getting an increasing amount of attention. They were accepted into the group offering. And I think, again, that's just another kind of point in their favor, uh, you know, in this battle for who is going to be the more scalable version of Ethereum before Ethereum can solve that problem themselves. Jen, what do you think? I think Sundley had her hand up. I was just pushing my hair back. Oh, sorry about Did that. you have your hand Sundaly. up, Sundaly? I think I think it was Will. Will Will had his hand up. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants yeah. to talk about this. <laughs> I can yeah. take it. Oh, no, no, no. Was it you? I wanted it. I wanted yeah. it. I called Will for it, it. But I just got snubbed very rudely. <laughs> snubbed. Uh, no, okay, I'm going to take the other way. <laughs> another angle on this. Udi Wertheimer, who's a, a Bitcoiner and uh, kind of like a comedian online at this point, 
had a great tweet about this where Polygon was worth like $6 billion or that's how much people valued them just a few months ago. And now they're like really excited that they're in like this little boot camp startup with Disney. I mean, that's cool that they get to participate in this, but it's, it's weird to see well, what a bear market does to a project where like at one instance, you're like on the forefront of revolutionizing finance. You're better than Disney. You're better than all these other projects. And then a bear market comes, your token tumbles, and all of a sudden you're really excited to be in an accelerator program again. So it's just wild to an see those swings by Disney, happen. One of the biggest media yeah, companies I mean, but like, in the world. Disney it's not have a boot to do camp. Web three stuff. They I don't know. I don't know. I'm just taking the bear side. All of the IP on Earth. <laughs> what is going to drive Web three if not IP? <laughs> No, no, you're you're too shilly for Web three, Jen. This is not okay. I am. I this am. is I'm a this Web3 is cool Nazi. stuff for them. They get <laughs> yeah. I, know, I am a little bit. There's capital. There's like business help from executives at Disney. That's cool. Obviously, Disney is doing pretty well. They are like the masters of using IP. That the games they've played around the Mickey Mouse cartoon over the last eighty plus years are just fantastic. Right? They've been using that to really build their product. And a lot of these NFT projects uh, are going to do that as well. I don't know if there's any NFT projects. Well, there are NFT projects here as well. Polygon itself supports a lot of this stuff. So it makes sense for them to be involved with it. But I will take that little little Snyder mark at them if I can. Jen, I'll throw it to you. You know, I'm I'm curious. Yesterday, we spoke about in different generations being able to accept this really massive change that's happening right now. And I think about companies like Disney they're usually so big, it's really hard for them to adapt and change at the rate you need to, to adopt technology like this. And so I wonder if this is going to work for large IP holders, because I think we're going to get into uh, a world where, you know, we have free IP and people are thinking about IP very differently than companies like Disney have thought about IP for their entire existence. And I wonder how they're going to be able to manage that change. We historically We've seen companies kind of really fumble the bag at, at these pivotal points when you think about uh, Blockbuster and, and Kodak. And so I just wonder if we're going to see that happen to big companies like Disney as we start to really see more uh, traction in Web3 and we start to see some actual like real tangible things come out of it. Maybe. I just have a quick aside. Maybe. So uh, it's also worth noting that the copyright on Mickey Mouse Uh, actually expires in just a couple of years. And typically what's happened is that every time we get close to this date of, you know, the expiration of this right, then Disney goes pretty hard on the lobbying and then they get the the date extended in terms of uh, how long you can keep something under, you know, proprietary, uh, you know, control. Uh, And so it'll be a big question, I think, in 2025. And I think that there's a lot of stuff like that for especially Disney, but some of these older companies in general is that they make a lot of money off their very, very old IP. And as it becomes available, they need other ways to, to make that still happen if they can't continue to extend it, which will be an interesting thing to watch. For sure. Let's move over to Bitcoin mining land. We talked about it at the beginning of the show, and we will close the show out today with it as well. CleanSpark is taking advantage of tumbling Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining prices to scoop up ASICs on the cheap. Over the bull market, we saw ASIC prices, and ASICs are the Bitcoin mining machines that can go between... $5,000 to $10,000 per machine, depending on what sort of model you get. That was during the height of the bull market. And now we're seeing these prices tumble down. Our machines go for between $3,000 and $5,000. So the miners who were patient and waited for this to happen are now collecting all these machines really quickly, like CleanSpark. 
in the miners who took out these huge purchase orders during the bull market and are seeing their prices and valuations of their companies come tumbling down are selling off these distressed contracts for a discount. It's a huge deal for the Bitcoin mining ecosystem because basically a lot of these firms are going to have to figure out if they're solvent or not. They have a lot of bills to pay, operation expenditures and whatnot. And the contracts they signed months ago could be the reason that they fail or fail to survive, fail to grow, uh, fail to thrive during the next few months. So we'll see what goes on there. Adam, I'm going to throw this topic up to you to get your take on it. Yeah. I mean, when you look at kind of the mining industry and you look at cryptocurrency in general across pretty much the entire sector, what you're seeing is a hyper competitive area of very, very fast moving technology and very, very big opportunities. So on the one side, you can't be so conservative as a company that you wind up missing opportunities that would have been substantial and would have helped you towards your goal. But on the other side, you don't want to take such big bets on those types of growth opportunities that you wind up, if things go against you, suddenly in a lot of trouble. And I think that that's really what we're seeing here across the entire sector. We're talking about mining right now, but the same conversation that we had earlier with Celsius, right? Ultimately, these are companies that benefited significantly by taking aggressive behavior uh, during the bull. And now that the bear is on, you know, we get to see who was really well prepared for if things didn't go to plan. So I see this as a very natural, very positive function where you see people who took too big risks getting washed out, people who didn't take that big a risk and who are sitting there waiting for the opportunities, able to scoop up and take advantage of those situations. And I think it's one of the things that kind of defines the sector in that ain't nobody going to bail you out, right? Like you can convince your investors, maybe, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried to come in and uh, save you because they're invested in you or because they're concerned about the systemic implications. But there's nobody who can just create money. Well, I'll, perhaps FTX can just create money with uh, how much profit they make. But that's an entirely different conversation. You know, again, like it's not fun if you're invested in these companies. It's not fun if you work for these companies. But if what you want is a relatively safe expectation of return, then the only thing that's done that has been just buying Bitcoin or buying Ether and doing nothing with it and just sitting there, right? To the extent that you put yourself in these risk situations as a company or as an individual, you get the upside, but you get the downside too. Jen, I really saw your hand up this time. How about you? Okay, I have a question for Will. So the article talks about diminishing margins and surging power costs in North America. And we've spoken a lot about what's going on in the mining industry on this show. And so like at this point in time, Will, does it even make business sense to to have a mining operation in North America? Yeah, just a quick disclosure. I do work for a mining company doing content. So there is that. Uh, it depends on your operation, Jen. So like some people, no, it doesn't. You're not going to make a lot of money right now because the margins are very thin. But if you set yourself up correctly, a few months back, you got really cheap energy, good hosting site, cheap miners, then you're doing fine. Like you can weather this bear market. So it's the same thing like any sort of crypto business, right? Set yourself up well during the bull market. Use all the money you made during the bull market to succeed during the bear market. That's the truth for like an NFT project. That's the truth for any sort of exchange, any lending scheme. If you don't set yourself well up during the bull market, bear market's going to come. It's going to wipe you out. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your name is. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you need to be able to pay your bills. And so a lot of these Bitcoin miners, I do expect them to have problems going to the next 6 to 12 months because prices are going down. They bought a lot of expensive machines. Energy is only becoming more expensive. We see that as a core problem with inflation right now. Energy prices are going up all over North American markets. And Bitcoin miners are going to have to face that head on. So Dolly, I hand it up to you for last thoughts, though. Thanks. Yeah. And just 
you know, what was so exciting about the bull market was, you know, one of the things that I loved watching was how mining was growing so fast and this huge debate around its environmental impact came around. And um, just seeing mining get concentrated in these like large facilities and big companies all around the world after China banned mining within its borders, you kind of saw smaller miners and smaller companies kind of fade out, right? They couldn't afford to be in the market anymore. Um, equipment was so expensive. I remember I interviewed some very small hydropower producers in Italy, Italy last year who were like generating and selling computing power to just diversify their earnings, not to, you know, like make big money, but to like just make enough to to keep things going. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity, this bear market, for them to get more invested in in mining and kind of beef up their, their operations a little bit in time for the next bull market because bring the small miners back into the game. I think this is going to be an exciting time for, for mining, despite all the turbulence, of course. All right. We're going to leave it there. That was a great show, guys. Lots of good opinions and insights from the three of you. Thank you for watching on YouTube, Twitter, Coindesk.com, and for listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Networks. For The Hash, I'm Jen Sanasi. We got Sundali up there, Adam over there, and Will beside me. See you guys tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.